This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Reynolds has turned the page to what's next by making it possible for you to retail anywhere. Discover your next chapter at reyrey.com slash me. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash me. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, February 3rd, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Callan Walker. Today on the show, Ford's net income falls 89% in the fourth quarter. U.S. Treasury changes vehicle classifications for EV tax credits, and new Sony Honda vehicles could end up with competing dealers. Plus, a look at why auto technicians keep turning wrenches despite the high levels of dissatisfaction in their ranks. Most techs, they're unhappy, but they don't know that they can do better anywhere else. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Ford's fourth quarter net income fell almost 90% from a year earlier. That's when an investment in Rivian boosted profits significantly. Ford's fourth quarter net income fell to $1.3 billion. The automakers saw continued supply chain struggles. During an earnings call on Thursday, CEO Jim Farley blamed the automakers' annual loss on poor performance. To say I'm frustrated is an understatement because the year could have been so much more for us at Ford. Farley says Ford left about $2 billion of profits on the table last year. We have deeply entrenched issues in our industrial system that have proven tough to root out. Candidly, the strength of our products and revenue has masked this dysfunctionality for a long time. It's not an excuse, but it's our reality, and we're dealing with it urgently. Ford's adjusted earnings before interest in taxes of $10.4 billion was more than a billion, lower than what it had forecast. Farley promised better execution in 2023, which he described as a pivotal year for the automaker. Asbury Automotive Group says it spent $2.7 million in the fourth quarter on, quote, a significant acquisition that did not materialize. Asbury's sale of nine North Carolina stores in the fourth quarter was also agreed to partly in anticipation of the unsuccessful purchase. That's what CEO David Holt told analysts and investors on a call on Thursday. Asbury did not give a reason for the deal falling through. It's also not clear if the auto retailer had abandoned the transaction entirely. The U.S. Treasury Department says it will change how it classifies vehicles that are subject to price caps as part of new electric vehicle tax credits. The department said it will now use the consumer-facing EPA fuel economy label standard to determine whether a vehicle is a sedan, SUV, pickup, or van. That's instead of using EPA corporate average fuel economy or CAFE standards. The move comes after GM and Tesla pushed back against Treasury's previous classifications. The department did not classify the Cadillac Lyric as an SUV, meaning its retail price could not be more than $55,000 and still qualify for support. The two-row version of Tesla's base model Y was treated as a sedan, while the less popular three-row version qualified as an SUV. Treasury says consumers who have purchased and taken delivery of vehicles since January 1st that qualify under the new vehicle classifications can still claim the credit, even if the vehicle didn't qualify under the previous classification standard. When Honda and Sony's new Afila EV brand starts delivering cars in 2026, it won't just consider Honda and Acura dealers to service them. In the U.S., the new EV venture may also look to brands outside Honda and Acura dealer networks, including retailers from rival automakers. 
Sony Honda Mobility CEO Yashu Ide Mizuno says there may be, quote, several opportunities. He says the decision will be made with customer convenience in mind. Many Honda and Acura dealers assume that they would at least serve as the official customer-facing part of the equation. They tell Automotive News that they were expecting to deliver the Sony Honda EVs, service them, and communicate with owners about Honda's other products. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, January sales have been announced. A lot of companies had positive results. What's the takeaway? Yeah, it seemed like a, a pretty good month. Of course, you don't want to get too excited about January. It's one of the lowest selling months of the year, so not particularly indicative, but it does seem to reflect you know, what's going on in the market. Production is up. Consumers are a little held back by high prices and higher interest rates. So the consumer sales probably slipped a little, but fleet sales more than made up for it, bringing us to the uh, seasonally adjusted annualized rate over 16 million, about 16.2, highest we've seen since last May. Of the companies reporting, you know, only Toyota was down. Volvo was the last to come in today. They were up 8.2%. Gotcha. Coming up, we'll hear how one auto technician thinks dealerships can improve recruitment and retention of techs. That's next on Daily Drive. Dealers, especially, have, you know, over the course of the last two years, have proven even more essential. Of course, they were right. deemed essential by the government, even more essential from a consumer standpoint. You know, nothing stands still when you're in the car business. And if you're a dealer, like Jason Stein just told us, you should feel good about the future. You know, that's so true, Mark. And, and there's so much noise out there. So if you're an owner, a general manager, you're in sales or in service, how are you supposed to help your business thrive? Well, look no further. I'm Mark Spodel. And I'm Elliot Shore. And we host the Walk Around Podcast, powered by JM&A Group. We talk to leaders who are influencing the automotive landscape today, and we promise you will learn something new with every episode. That's a sure thing. I see what you did there. Do you like that? Well, we'll talk about it. Okay. Well, anyway, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or whatever platform you're listening to. Just search the Walk Around Podcast. Reynolds & Reynolds recently announced a new logo and brand image to better reflect the company it is today and its vision for the future. Hear what Chris Walsh, president of Reynolds & Reynolds, has to say about Reynolds' rebrand and the next chapter. I think, you know, if you look back, it really started, you know, probably two years ago with a new leadership team in place and the decision to kind of look at how we can be a better company and how we can better serve our customers and how we can help them be more successful. But it's really accelerated the last, you know, 12 months. This is a commitment to a new kind of company in my eyes and a new way of kind of cohabitating in the industry, helping our customers be more successful. And, uh, you know, the marketing side of this is, I mean, it's certainly important to help to have a marketing organization that, you know, kind of takes your messages and makes them concise and, and impactful and, and broadcast that to the world. That's certainly a critical part you know, of what we're doing, but this is not a marketing program. This is, you know, a company-wide initiative you know, to better serve the industry and to, you know, help us get to the next chapter uh, in automotive. Visit rayray.com slash me to learn more about Reynolds' vision for the future and discover your next chapter. That's reyrey.com slash me. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. One of the biggest issues facing service departments is the lack of technicians to repair all the cars in the shop. The TechForce Foundation estimates the auto industry will need 400,000 more technicians by 2024 to keep up with demand. 
Russell Wickham is lead technician at Country 2, a Buick Chevrolet GMC Toyota retailer in Pampa, Texas. He spoke with Automotive News Senior Editor Dan Shine about where service departments are falling short when recruiting techs and how they can do a better job retaining them once hired. Here's a piece of their conversation. Russell, thanks so much uh, for joining me today. You're welcome, sir. I know you're in uh, Dallas in a hotel room, ready to take some EB certification uh, tests tomorrow. So I uh, appreciate you taking time out from your studying to, to talk with me. You're welcome. The way I came kind of aware of you is uh, through your LinkedIn post. Uh, you're a very good writer. Uh, you raised a lot of compelling questions. I think you were, you know, seemed very thoughtful. And you know, we wrote about you in Fix Out the Journal. And I remember talking to the writer when I assigned him the story. And I said, you know, I said, this is a guy who, you know, has an opinion, has something to say. And he, you know, it's kind of a voice of the voices a little bit. Because I think a lot of texts aren't on social media, aren't on LinkedIn, you know, kind of talking about their life and asking questions and, and kind of demanding answers. And, and you are. So I kind of think, you know, you kind of, you know, give that voice to, you know, to others who maybe can't, you know, write as well as you can or, or kind of like, you know, put put the you know their opinion out there. What is it about LinkedIn posting the writing that you like? Uh, is it just kind of a way to vent some frustrations, to raise some issues? What's uh, kind of what's the What's it for you? The number one advantage to LinkedIn is it's professional people. So, you know, when you get Facebook, you've got, you know, kind of a mismatch of different industries. It's not industry specific. The only other social media I've been on is RallyPoint. That's specifically for uh, soldiers uh, or military personnel. But LinkedIn is designed for professional people. So it's a way of talking to people that are in the industry as opposed to just putting it out there in general. And I know that you had a, a post recently, it might've been even last week when you were a week or so ago about talking about, you know, all these surveys and the shows, all, you know, all the texts that are so unhappy in their job. And, and you kind of posed the, you know, the question, why, you know, if you're unhappy, why do you keep doing what you're doing? What, uh, did you learn anything? Did you get any, get any reasons why you think texts are unhappy, but, but remain in the job? It was more a just a confirmation of what my opinion is. Most techs, they're unhappy, but they don't know that they can do better anywhere else. You know, we can make a pretty good living doing what we're doing, especially if you line up with the right leadership, the right warranty clerk. You can make a pretty good living. I mean, 82000 that I made last year is nothing to shake a stick at. So what else could I do that would make that kind of income support my family. You know, I have three teenagers. We, we go through about $1,000 a month in food. So it's, it's really expensive. So I need a good income to be able to pay the bills. So, you know, what else could someone do? Is it that we feel trapped and that's why we keep doing it? Or is it because we, we really like it? You know, me personally, I love repairing cars. I love the feeling when I get done figuring something out, it works great. You know, I was cheering in the shop on Friday because I figured out a new way of doing something that saved a whole lot of strenuous effort on my part. You know, that's fun. It's the pay system that makes it so challenging, you know, and then there's a, certainly a lack of respect and some other things that go on. But, you know, my question to them was trying to understand, is it really that you feel trapped or is it that you're glutton for punishment or what? You know, I, I figured that they felt trapped because several of the people I've talked to that gotten out, that was the thing. You know, they, they said, one of the guys told me, he said, I, more techs would leave 
if they knew they could do as well outside as they are doing inside. That particular guy, uh, he was an electrical guru, uh, ended up going into retail and uh, is doing just as well in retail as he was wrenching. So, you know, would dealerships love to have this guy? Yes, absolutely, because he was the go-to guy for electrical problems. But they're not willing to pay for what it takes to diagnose electrical. So I can't blame him for getting out, but I asked that question just to confirm what I already thought I knew. Again, when I first kind of became aware of you on, on LinkedIn, you were in between jobs, you were looking for a new job, and you were kind of very forthright about, here's what I want from, from a shop, you know, whether it be a dealership or whatever. And you kind of laid out you know, all the kind of different demands, I guess you would say, right, of what you want. You express frustration sometimes. Why do you stay in it? Is it just like you said, that you just love fixing things or you know, is it the pay? What kind of keeps you involved, even when you want to like sometimes, you know, Pull your hair out. Well, right now I am working with an exceptional team. Um, I have a service manager and a warranty clerk that are both former technicians. They know what it's like to be in the shop and um, what it's like to deal with a manufacturer that keeps cutting times and things like that. And they will do whatever they can to take care of me. So, you know, I feel a lot of loyalty to them because they have loyalty to me. Um, you know, so it's it's a two-way street. When they're loyal to me and doing everything they can to help me out, I'm doing everything I can to help them out. So that's the one reason why I'm staying where I'm at. Um, the other reason I really, I'm good at it. I'm really enjoy fixing things. Um, so working with my hands, it's it's what I was made to do. There are other things that I'd like to do. I'd love to see if I can get into technical writing and take my experience of doing hands-on work and get in to help people by making a better service manual, better instruction sheet, things like that. Don't have everything worked out to where I could go that route, so I'm still doing what I'm doing. I figure I've got about five years left of my body before it starts breaking down to the point where I'm going to need to do something else. But for now, I'm I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, you hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. Text or oh, we need more text. We need more text. There's this, you know, all this horrible shortage going on. What do you think are some solutions to this problem? Is it just, is it a pay thing? Is it career advancement? What are some of the things that you think might help recruit more and recruit and retain more techs in the, in the shops? I had somebody reach out to me. He has asked to remain anonymous, but he gave a really great tip. He said, go in your shop, find out who your biggest complainer is and fix his issue. Because he's the one that's causing the negative attitude in your shop. He's the one that's running your new guys off. Get in there, figure out what his issues are, and see what you can do to fix them. What happens to so many of these young guys is they get in, they find out this is hard work, and then there's an old guy in the background that's saying, yeah, get out while you can. Get out while you can. You know, Because he's done 15, 20 years. He's unhappy. Nobody has gone in and asked him what his issues are and tried to fix them. So he's running off your new guys by laying it out to them. Yeah, this is the way it works and it's crap and you want out. That's one of the things that's really killing it. Another thing is shops aren't getting into schools early on. They're not taking a master tech that's really interested and sending him in to talk to the kids. Tell them what life is like. You know, but you, of course, you've got to have that guy that you fixed his issues. So he's, he's gung ho about the career, but 
you know, get him in there and telling kids what it's like. And you watch for that kid that's got lights in his eyes when he's talking about a transmission or something big that he's done, you know, and you, you zero in on that kid and you nurture him and you bring him in and you build him into your next master tech. We have the knowledge in the industry to build good people. We have some people that are capable of mentoring. We have some that aren't. You need to identify those mentors, bring them in, bring the young guys in under those mentors and help build them up and then take care of them. There's a perception in the business that the door rate goes up, but the tech pay doesn't. You know, it's like two posts ago that I had made talking about how the door rates going up that this one shop, it went up $50 over the course of 10 years. And this year, the techs finally got a $2 an hour pay raise. You know, that's not right. So. If the techs don't deserve the pay raise, what have you told them? Have you explained to them why you chose not to? Are they not bringing something to your business where your business thinks it needs a pay raise, but the tech doesn't? You know, well, why have you explained to them? Have you sat down with them? That shop never sat down with its people. It never told them anything. When someone asked for a pay raise, a guy I knew that did all of their electrical, which is a very difficult thing to charge for. He asked for a pay raise and the service managers told him to turn more hours. You know, when you give that kind of attitude, it's a wonder the guy even stays. The only reason he stayed is because he was loyal to the owner who had taken care of him the first 10 years in the career before this new service manager had come in. Russell Wickham is lead technician at Country 2, a Buick Chevrolet GMC Toyota retailer in Pampa, Texas. He spoke with Automotive News senior editor Dan Schein. You can hear their full conversation in the Automotive News Service and Parts newsletter. You can sign up to receive that email at autonews.com. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Michael Martinez, John Hutter, Audrey LaForest, and Hans Grimel for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on service and parts, earnings results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back on Monday for my conversation with Jay Maxwell of the Costco Auto Program from the NADA show in Dallas. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.